Well, good morning. It's good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. I know it can be a little frustrating when the when when everything seems to come against us and there's you know people out and all that, but you know what? We're still here and God has still got something for you. So what you need to do is just listen to the word and do what the word says and you'll be all right. And we'll be all right. Okay? Speaking of being all right, we're talking about Jesus as a problem solver. If you see a problem, why don't you lift it up to him? Let him solve it. Today we're talking about how Jesus solves problems and, and meets our needs. So while you're turning to the book of John, here's a little story about an innovative problem solver. According to a news report, a certain private school in Washington recently was faced with a unique problem. You see, they had a number of 12-year-old girls who were beginning to use lipstick and would put it on in the bathroom, and that's fine. But after they put on their lipstick, they would press their lips to the mirror, leaving dozens of little lip prints. And every night, the maintenance man would remove them, and the next day, the girls would put them right back. And so finally, the principal decided that something had to be done. So she called all the girls to the bathroom and met them there with the maintenance man. She explained that all the lip, lip prints were causing a major problem for the custodian who had to clean the mirrors every single night. And to demonstrate how difficult it had been to clean the mirrors, she asked the maintenance man to show the girls how much effort was required to clean that mirror. So he took out a long-handled squeegee, dipped it in the toilet, and cleaned the mirror with it. And since then, there's been no more lip prints on the mirror. told you that was a bad joke. <laughs> uh, the Gospel of John was written between 90 AD and 100 AD. Scholars believe that John wrote his three epistles in the book of Revelation around the same time, and that John is the last gospel to be written. It's what we call the spiritual gospel. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee... <clears throat> which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. And then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Let's pray. 
Oh, Lord, we thank you for today and for your word. Let it stir our hearts. Let it change us. Let us be different as we leave this place. Lord, we ask that you would bring up this message throughout the week, kind of like a, a cow with multiple stomachs, that you would just regurgitate this scripture in our minds and in our hearts all week long. And Lord, we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus meets our needs. Did you know that? Jesus meets our needs through others in ways that we don't expect. A lot of times. Jesus responds to our problems through others. Let's take a look at John 6, 1. And I'm going to look through the New Living Translation. It'll be on your screen. And after this, Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. And a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. And then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look to him. And turning to Philip, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, Even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. You know, there's been some time that elapsed between events of chapter 5 and chapter 6, about a year's time. And we know this because John marks time by the different feasts that are mentioned throughout the text. Does this mean Jesus did nothing for about a year? No, it just means John didn't record it for us. Either because events were recorded elsewhere so that there was no need for more explanation, or because he just chose not to do so, we don't know. We do know that ultimately it was the Holy Spirit who decided not to inspire John to write more than what was recorded. John 21:25 says, Jesus also did many other things. And if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. John is writing this so that we may continue to believe in Christ. John 20 verse, or chapter 20, verse 31 says, But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. In this event, Jesus goes over the Sea of Galilee, probably because wherever He would go, there'd be a crowd that would follow him. And even at this, we find a huge crowd followed him anyway. And if we take the 5,000 men that followed him in this, this event and counted one wife per man and one child per couple, then it's possible that Jesus had over 15,000 people there. So we can easily say that there were at least between ten and 15,000 people at this event. You see, we can't say that there were only 5,000 people there because women and children were not counted during this time. The best estimate we can come up with is 10 to 15,000. And Jesus had crossed over the Sea of Galilee and he sat down with his disciples and then this large number of people shows up and Jesus sees this as a teachable moment for all the disciples, but especially for Philip. He says, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And he already knew what he was going to do. He wanted Philip to think about this one, to test him a little bit. And Philip says, we can't buy enough to feed these people with even 200 denarii, which was worth months and months of wages at the time. And Philip is like, well, this is a huge problem. We can't feed them all, even if someone were to work months for the money. They could never come up with it. 
Have you ever been in a place where it was like, okay, Lord, I'm about to lose it all. I can't afford to buy food. I can't afford gas to the grocery store to get the food. I'm not talking about your wants here. I'm talking about your needs here. You need food, shelter, and clothing, don't you? I'm not talking about wanting the latest iPhone, a Mercedes boat, or motorcycle. I'm talking about getting yourself to a store, and even if you could, you don't have the money to buy anything there. Have you ever been there? I don't know about you, but I've been there. Guess what? It's not a fun place to be. And when you lack the necessities and not perceived wants, but necessities, Jesus will make a way when there appears to be no way. How's he going to do it? Well, he does it through other people's generosity, mostly. How's he going to meet the needs of people around us? Well, he does that through our generosity as Christians. James 2.14 says, What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing, and you say goodbye and have a good day, stay warm and eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? So, you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Now, someone may argue some people have faith, others have good deeds, but I say, how can you show me your faith if you don't have good deeds? I will show you my faith by my good deeds. If you say you have faith, folks, but your actions don't support it, then you're fake. Your faith is fake. It is a faith in word only and not in action. Don't be the brother or sister who doesn't help others. You know, I've got many stories about this kind of thing, but the one that stands out to me today is the Christian family uh, that Amanda and I knew years ago before we had children and that was over 20 years ago wow time flies when you're having fun we were young and we took what little that what little we had and you know we stopped in one night at these at this friends of ours and we were on our way to my mother's house because I knew I could get a free meal there and I didn't have the money for anywhere else so we were heading that way because we, we didn't have the money, but we had some gas, and that was good. So we're going to stop in at Mom's because we knew we can get that meal right there, home-cooked meal. So here we are, and we hadn't made our need known to anyone. And we stop in on these acquaintances from a church just to see how they're doing. And we had a good few minutes together, but they had three young kids themselves, and they needed to get, go through their nightly routine. So they needed to get to bed. So we excuse ourselves, and the brother asks, asks us, what are you doing out on our, in our neck of the woods this time of night? And me not wanting to lie, I, I told him, well, we don't have any money, and there's a need to eat. And I wasn't so big back then, so you know, it was actually a need and not a want. <laughs> But, uh, so what did they do without us really asking anything? They, they scraped $100 together, and back then that was a lot. That's like 200 today, and, or 250 And they take us down to the store, and nobody really sh properly shown us how to shop, uh, you know, for your groceries and how to package things for the long haul. Well, they didn't have to do that. 
They could have said, well, have a nice night and be done with us. But they didn't. They practiced what they believed. They practiced the scriptures. And that one will always stay with me until the day I die. You know, I've lost contact with them over the years. And, uh, but they'll always be remembered by us. Always. Number two. Jesus usually responds in a way that we don't expect. Jesus usually responds in a way that we don't expect. John chapter 6 verse 8 says this, Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes, and the men alone numbered about 5,000. And then Jesus took the loaves gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. And afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And so they picked up the pieces, and they filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. And when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, They exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. So Andrew speaks up and he says, hey, we don't have much. We got five loaves and two little fish. But here's what we got, and it ain't near enough. You ever find that at the end of the day there was more month to your money? So Jesus is like, that's enough. We'll get you through it. He gives thanks to God and everyone eats until they're full. I mean Baptist potluck kind of full. So full you're afraid you're going to break the pew if you sit down too fast. That kind of fool. And so Jesus tells the disciples to go get any leftovers so, so that nothing gets wasted. Now remember... We're talking ten to 15,000 people here, and they're, they're told to go pick up leftovers. That's going to take a while. And these baskets, by the way, aren't some mamby-pamby Easter basket, okay? These were good-sized baskets. We're talking large, good baskets. Now, why does he tell them to pick up the leftovers? Well, the Scripture tells us so that nothing is wasted. Now, I've noticed that God does not, anywhere in Scripture, promote waste. Ever. As a matter of fact, there's a lot in Scripture about not wasting things. That we'll be held to account for wasting things that God has given to us. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Ephesians 5.16 says, Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. Acts 2.44-47 says, And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. 2.44, Acts 2.44, They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. 
I'm not saying to go sell everything you have, but to use what you have to help others, especially of the household of faith, it says. It's the one surefire way to grow the church, to grow in God, and that is love and kindness to others. As you meet needs with the right heart motivations, God will add to the church from those activities. Why? Because of your heart, people will sense your love for them and will listen to the message of the cross. And that's what it's all about. I meet your temporary perceived need and you give the eternal need of your life, Jesus Christ. That is where a lot of people go wrong. Churches want to help with people's needs, and that's great. But they don't want to do it out of love for people, but for other reasons. Whether that's bragging rights or numbers or whatever. There are other reasons that people do things. What happens is, is we have this activity, but then we don't share the gospel with people either. We aren't sharing the gospel while we do acts of love. Then we're only meeting half a person's real need. We need to strive to meet a person's entire need as we do the works that are worthy of salvation. And there are many more scriptures which point us to not being wasteful. There are many more scriptures which point us to what we've discussed. But we see here there was a need. And the need was that you have all these people who are hungry. And rather sending them on their way, Jesus supplies their need. Was it in a way that they expected? Well, no. And just like when God met mine and Amanda's need all those years ago, it was not in a way or a manner that we had expected or even thought about. But it was the way that God chose to meet our need. Jesus meets our needs through others in ways we don't expect. If you remember nothing, remember that. Jesus meets our needs through others in ways we don't expect. As the ladies come, I know it was a short message, and it wasn't so theologically down that you learned something that blew your mind, but maybe, just maybe, it watered that motivation. Why do I do the things that I do? Why do I meet others' needs? Folks, if we don't know you have a need, we can't meet that need. Did you know that? I was talking to a pastor one time, and... Uh, he, uh, he got a nasty phone call from a woman. She goes, I just got out of the hospital and you didn't come see me. And he said, I didn't know you were in the hospital. Well, doesn't your secretary call every hospital every day to find out if anybody's in there? No. That's not how this works. Well, she was flabbergasted and didn't understand. If we don't know you have a need, we can't help meet that need. Don't be so prideful that you will not ask others for help. I have learned that lesson time and time again. I don't like to accept help from others. I like to give the help. But there are times when the Lord says you need to accept. 
And by not accepting, perhaps you're taking somebody else's blessing and poo-pooing it. Yes, I said poo-poo from the pulpit, I know. But there are times when you need to just accept what the Lord's doing for you. Just accept your need being met. And there are times you need to let people know that you have a need. The question you have to ask yourselves today, church, is what needs are in our community that are not being met? Hey, guess what? I don't have the answer to that. I haven't been here 30 plus years like some of y'all. You have. So what need does the community have that the church needs to fulfill? Well, first of all, and most importantly, eternal salvation. What other perceived needs do they have that possibly we can fulfill that and give them the gospel at the same time? Because the gospel is the main thing. So I want you to think on that this week as we leave this place. What need are we not meeting that we should be meeting? What do they need? Well, pastor, we've tried that before and they didn't come to church. I don't care. If they get saved and go to church somewhere, praise the Lord. God will send who he's going to send. We pray every week. Lord, send the workers. Send them from the north, the south, the east, and the west. And we usually have a pretty large crowd in here. Not so today, but maybe it's because God had this message specifically for this crowd. What need do we have that's not being met? I want you to pray on that. I want you to come back and tell me what you think that is. So as we pray, number one, do you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, you'd wake up in heaven? Those on the internet, I know we got a bunch of people who watch us. As a matter of fact, I was talking to a pastor of a very large church, and he's got me in his rotation of pastors he listens to every every week or so. I didn't know that. So we're we're touching lives. And that's a good thing. But it means nothing if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Do you know that if you died today you'd wake up in heaven? If not, you can know. Jesus went to a cross, born of a virgin, went to a cross. Before he did that, he did signs, wonders, and miracles, proclaiming himself the Son of God, the second in the Trinity. God made manifest in the flesh. And on the third day after being dead, he rose again from the grave. And he proclaimed victory over death, hell, and that grave. That's our hope. It's as simple as, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sins. You want him to change you.
You don't want to just tack Jesus on to the end of a mess and say, Lord, bless my mess. For those of us that, that are saved, think on the need. We know there's a need for the gospel. We know there are hungry hearts and minds. How do we meet their other needs so that they can hear the gospel, so that they can become Christians? How do we hear that? How do we do it? Got an idea? Share an idea. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn, if you'd like to join this church by letter statement or baptism, we can do that. If you've got special prayer, we can do that too. Miss Joe.